Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. Going to look at a, uh, a an interesting zine, Ed. Modern Cartoonist by Dan Klaus. This came out in the late 90s, uh, 1997 copyright on it. And it was stitched into 8-Ball number 18, which was like the last comic book size issue of 8-Ball. And uh, the last installment of Ghost World. Black Nylon is in this issue. So pretty, pretty fun, uh, pretty fun bonus, I guess. In this issue and they had like you could send away to fanographics for a dollar to uh, just get copies of modern cartoonists which is kind of a fun promo and possibly they still have some I really don't know the answer to that what a hassle that must have been for them <laughs> right like because you know that like these broke-ass chumps would like be sending one dollar not buying anything else <laughs> yeah, I bet they did a bunch of that. <laughs> they probably they probably nixed this idea uh, never again. But here's my original copy. You can see it's stapled in, just you know, one staple holding it in place. I had actually, I'm such a freaking comic book nerd. At one point, I had removed this, you know, bent up the staples and removed it so I could just carry it around with me, I guess, in my pocket, uh, read it whenever I had a had a moment. But uh, eventually, put it back in just to kind of keep track of it. So it lived freely for a couple of years, and then whenever they did the box set of Eight Ball. Um, it was issued loosely in, in that book. So that's the one I'm going to use to uh, to look at here. You can see a little bit of difference, I think, in paper stock. It feels like this is maybe newsprint, newsprint yeah. and you can see some of that discoloring. But otherwise, you know, same size and everything, uh, pretty good facsimile. The cool thing about the newsprint version, if you just crack it open, is that uh, because he's using that red, um, that, that sort of red imagery, that's like that amberlith mm -hmm. kind of uh, color, that tinge that would be in like 50s, how-to books so now enough time has passed that it has completed its homage status by yellowing uh, to a nice enough degree that it resembles those old little pamphlets. I have some of those old pamphlets and I mean this is a dead ringer totally. it's exactly what those things look like that two-color printing and stuff so we're gonna zoom in and we're gonna go through this uh, this really strange kind of document time to pay some bills you want to support cartoonist kayfabe buy our books we're both working cartoonists best way you can support Cartoonist Kayfabe is hit your local comic shops or wherever you buy books and pick up our latest titles. Starting with Ed Piscor's Red Room, The Antisocial Network, out now, available wherever books are sold, and the perfect thing to start reading before Trigger Warning starts in March. This will be available March 9th. Trigger Warnings in comic shops across this, uh, across the blue marble. And uh, if you love Outlaw Comics, if you like horror comics, violent comics, this is your Outlaw Comic for 2022. And trigger warnings due to some ransomware attacks on the distribution level may be the most rare of all the Red Room comics. So whenever you see this comic book in your local comic shop, pick it up right away because it may not be there the next time you come in. And there are a few alternative covers that are available, including this gem from Peach Momoko. Not just a uh, institute cottage industry, but also a uh, friend of Cartoonist Kayfabe That's with, with quite right. a few of these. Uh, this is my contribution to the Red Room Trigger Warning cover for number one, an homage to the Zap Comics Robert Crumb famous issue, uh, the fourth cover by Ed Piscor for Red Room Trigger Warnings number one, and those again will be in stores March 9th, and you can get Anti-Social Network right now. March is Cartoonist Kayfabe Month in the comic shops, Jimmy. Indeed it is. March 16th, you can pick up Hulk Grand Design Monster. This is my next comic, available wherever comics are sold from Marvel Comics, retelling the first 40 issues and approximately 500 issues of Incredible Hulk. Whether you're a longtime Hulk fan or a first-time reader, 
this is the book for you and there are some great variety of covers for this as well including peach momoko's hulk grand design cover marcos martin doing a really good transformation of the hulk kind of kind of jealous of all of these to be honest with you which is the mark of a good cover and of course cartoonist kayfabe's own ed piscor doing the todd mcfarlane homage with the throwback herb trimpy wolverine classic costume and again these are available in comic book shops march 16th so mark your calendar tell your comic shop to reserve this and pre-order hulk grand design madness which will be out in april and uh, those pre-orders can start coming in now so back to our regular programming so i went through an eight ball phase in the late 90s and we just started by it's kind of went down on my radar and i just started buying them this had already been printed so i picked this up probably in i don't know 99 2000 somewhere around there and was really into dan Klaus and eight ball at the time so whenever he releases this it's kind of a an essay on the state of comics and co and and some messages to cartoonists it's it's yeah like <laughs> the naked truth nice like, nice way to put it like because there's a lot to it man it's a manifesto yes manifesto comes to mind it's a screed it's uh very honest there's a lot of self-awareness to it he's calling shot he's calling people out he calls us out uh, at a certain point I, I won't i won't make mention of those parts there there's also a um like a sense of irony to this stuff as well i think like it's it's all over the map That's... because he's always with eight ball I don't want to say self-effacing, but he often puts himself in the crosshairs of whatever it is he's targeting. And I think there's some of that in here, too, you know? So, like, you read this, and some of it's 100%, I think, accurate, and then other parts, I think, are completely tongue-in-cheek. And that interface, you know, that that kind of, like, mixing those two things together is what I love about his work, and I think it's on display in this, uh, in this, in this pamphlet. I think it's very sincere, also. It might be more sincere than I want it to be. <laughs> but... But see, here's the thing. You say it like that, and the other part I was going to say is that there is a hopefulness to it. Like, be mindful of certain things and, and of what we have here, and you could um, use that to, to, great, to great advantage if you so choose to. Right, and the fact that it's Dan Klaus doing it, obviously a, a cartoonist lifer, yeah. um, points to probably the sincerity uh, you know, and that, that hopefulness that... Uh, I don't think he wants to just lead and wear on his sleeve, but you do get glimpses of it in here, and I, I think that's probably legitimate. Starts off strong with this 15-year philosophy that I like. Man, do you want to lay that out? Yeah, we start in 1953, which would be the apex of EC Comics. And from there, 15 years after that, you have underground comics movement. 15 years after that, you have sort of the rise of the... Uh, the unnamed adult comics movement. Um, we might call them alternative comics, but that is like raw... Uh, Love and Rockets weirdo and his idea is that it's you know 15 years for the generation to absorb the lessons of the previous generation and this comes out in 97 so the next 15 teen year period would have been 98 yeah and so some speculation on maybe we're, we're due for the next wave of whatever that looks like um, but a pretty interesting conceit and you know can't argue with any of those three time periods that he points out if uh, if you know this is 1997 uh, Windows 95 has has come out, so the world has has been changing with the with this sort of ubiquitous nature of of uh, personal computing. He calls that stuff out towards the end about some digital you know digital lives lived on the screen and whatever instant gratification, whatever form comics may take eventually. Like he he sees the writing on the wall, uh, but also is bolstering the tactility of the paper object. 
the fetish object, the Freudian uh, replacement for the mother's penis object. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's how, how I would describe comics to somebody, right? The comic book format. He, he, he guesstimates there's 3,000 people in America who identify themselves as a cartoonist. And of those, 25 to 30 are, are good. And then, like, another, you know, 25 or 30 after that are um, maybe not there yet, but, but kind of interesting. And I love these numbers because, like, I think about those now, and it's like, definitely add one zero. Uh -huh. Do you add two zeros? Like, how many people are actually practicing? How many people are good now? You know, like, I think all those numbers have gone up by a factor of between 10 and 100. And uh, it's kind of interesting to, to think because I talk about this a lot. Like, you used to be able to buy all the good cartoonists uh -huh. in the 90s, and now it's preposterous that you could keep up with all the good cartoonists or, or interesting books that come out. And I think that's a digital byproduct that's not mentioned in here, but it, it may be one of the things of the next epoch that he's talking about in that the numbers of cartoonists has ballooned in a way that it changes how we used to collect comics. It has, but, but I would um, make the argument that the number of, like, the, the best ones of course has grown but say if you add a zero for the other ones maybe you add like a five or so you know like it's not it's <laughs> yeah, not right. as many um at, at that high, super high level but there's like way more of like the the pretty good ones cuts promos on the comic strips he's talking about how like mostly he's looking at the comic book field and then eviscerates how bad comic strips are with Two or three exceptions but check that but but the the cool thing about that is he's talking about how they're they're um they exist for kind of like um you know marketing deals and things and that's fucking comic books now it is with it people is. just trying to get their netflix deals and all that kind of thing it's almost like these formats become these um legacy media of you know you can make a comic book cheap so if you want to if you want to pitch your movie a comic book's the way to do it now and that is that's kind of a wild bit in here that uh, that was comic strips 30 years ago here's 20, the 25 years here's ago. the thing man you you read this thing and if you think he's talking about you he's talking about you he might not know you by name but there's this stuff here like uh you know like the sort of hack writers who are novelists who um are kind of treading water and not being recognized at all if you had some modest see he, he takes it to the cartoonist stage because this is called modern cartoonist uh so he says like you know you develop like a certain amount of chops and make your comic book and it, it at least has some some visual uh, appeal but uh now it's just like these novelists and, and these writers will just write to death and write maybe five books a month or something and get other people to draw the stuff for them I love that there's an Ames lettering guide as part of the uh, the art that he has in here. I mean, look at the level. Like, it's got the little pencil shavings from when you stick the pencil into the hole and it kind of cuts the lead a bit. The, the graphite is busted and you see the wood is a little bit fucked up. Like, these guys, Klaus, Charles Burns, Chris Ware, they, they're the height of, of, uh, of craft in comics in terms of anal retention and whatnot. Uh, aims his uh, aims his criticism at the reader a little bit, the uh, quote unquote collector and the role that that plays in fetishizing this stuff and and sort of um, ownership claims in a way and how collectors have a certain sense of ownership over these books that they that they put in mylar and they collect, uh, which I think is is kind of interesting when you think of 
usually I feel like the public comes down on the side of the characters. Right. Whenever the there's creators. a dispute between Marvel and Jack Kirby, it's usually don't interfere with my whatever the next blockbuster is. It's usually <laughs> what I see online. Um, this gets into some of the, uh, the the fetish ideas, Ed, that you had mentioned earlier. Nabokov versus Freud comes up. Just wild stuff that he's putting out there. But ultimately, why comics? And one of the great things he talks about is this like near electric charge, like people who are really into comics. It's almost like this this feeling, this experience that's hard to describe. And I like that he brings that up and he talks about like one of the great strengths in the comics for him is one person, you know, that one one to one from from creator to reader. And it's something I often think about. And this might be where I first encountered that idea. What do we have here, man? Uh, we've got we've got uh, a piece of science fiction where you know a, a, a lady's going to to uh, find a find a comic. <laughs> we got a dude being celebrated uh, for something real corny, while some dude is toiling, showing off his thing as the douchebag is being celebrated. And that thing that's being celebrated, like it's it's gone into mass media, you know, it's gone into the big willy status. Right here, I call this the Jim Lee panel because that's him showing all the guys at Wildstorm how to uh, properly crosshatch. It could also be the Joe Kubert school. That's true. Uh, this is the the last thing that survives from humanity. In the future, <laughs> aliens come to the wasteland of Earth and find a comic book to understand humans. <laughs> that's that's his licensing deal. How, how many times have we gotten these calls, man? It's gonna be big. Yeah, it's great that he's showing it and like they're talking about it rather than actually watching it on TV. Yeah, because there are a lot of these conversations and, and, and uh, not as many TV programs. And it's always a schmuck guy like that who's on the phone. And of course, uh, the fine art museum the Lichtenstein uh, version of uh, comics and I'll be honest to me this one is the most Dan Klaus like of the characters that we see in here I think that's what he's going for <laughs> but I, but I don't think that his hair was at that level at that minute yeah I agree <laughs> um, he also talks about like one of the other strengths of comics is that it's an ignored medium like you can do whatever you want. Like even this idea of comics entering academia, academic consideration or, or anything, it's not even named at this point, like what these comics are or what that movement is. I think it comes to be known probably as graphic novels, you know, and not too long after this book. But Klaus identifies the freedom that comes with it being this like bottom level, you know, ignored medium. It allows you to really explore it as a uh, creator. And he that's one of those things that's taken for granted, I think. He also talks about how, I mean, another piece that is taken for granted is the fact that we all have these associations with cartoony imagery at a very early age, uh, be it children's books, picture books, good point. animated cartoons on television, uh, and the, the luckiest of us got some comic books when we were shorties. So he's making the claim that we're all predisposed to this kind of imagery so there's opportunity there you could you could make something that like strikes some sort of visceral chord in in everybody because we all understand that language yeah it's a good point and you know besides the cultural insignificant points out financially insignificant as being a uh, a potential benefit and i think that's there's truth there too you know low barrier of entry but also like anybody can make a comic like, what do you need? Pencil and paper? Like, it costs nothing to make a comic, really. Here's here's the thing that, that is kind of mind-blowing about this generation of cartoonists in the 90s, the, the Fantagraphics crew from the 1990s, 
is that they are, you know, hustling comic books. Like, what's the cover price on that eight ball, dude? Let's break a little kayfabe here. Three ninety five. You're getting between seven, ten percent uh, royalty on off of cover price, off of every copy. Uh, if we look on the indicia there, if he had a good year, there might be three issues. 15,000 copies, maybe. 18,000 copies. Uh, so, like, what's the royalty? A couple thousand dollars. Yeah, not much. It might not even be $10,000 for a whole year. And this dude is living in major metropolitan cities. You know what I'm saying? The fact that these guys make these comic books with uh with with no profit motive whatsoever it's it's a it's a testament to their kind of creativity the fact that they can't not do it he he has to do it you know uh it's i'm so appreciative of these guys because they they really slung hash man for for decades you know hernandez brothers 20 years worth of that breaking down doors that you and i just get to walk in and not have much to worry about you know yeah it's it's very true like i think all the time about the guys who show up for a year or two do one good book one interesting book a couple books maybe and then move on um that's kind of the majority because it like it, it's a tough industry to figure out a space and to make it work for you and you're right man testament to these guys but it goes back to that electric charge he talks about with the comics form you know i think that you can get into it anytime i do anything that's not my own comics i'm reminded of why doing my own comics is the only way to do it yeah you know like even even things that work out well it's still you're still compromised you still have to talk to people about your ideas before they're done or defend stuff and it's just like no i can make my own comics i could self-publish them and not have to you know the proof is in the pudding like buy the comic or don't like it or not but it's mine reading those klaus interviews from around this period and i have that klaus conversations book and it would probably be dope to go through like a couple of those interviews over over, over time uh for for the channel but uh he would always talk about like oh i i nobody sees the book i send it off to fantagraphics they publish it but i'm always like waiting to hear some sort of feedback like tell, tell me something and i would i would uh read that you know like growing up and then it gets to the point where it's like i'm sending my fantagraphics books off completely insecure about any kind of quality or whatever and they're just like yeah ed you probably should have a couple of commas here and there uh or take these commas out but okay well, it's good to go it, it, it comes out on the x date uh it's beautiful because you're getting unfiltered pure vision that's right that's that's what that's what um fantagraphics is bringing to the table if they so choose to bring you into their fold to allow you to be a part of their brand they're kind of trusting you to to show the goods you know and and like they brought you in for a reason you know it, it matches some some part of their i think it's the richest part of com like that's my favorite part of comics and it doesn't always work but i mean that's how you get something that is unlike anything else the the idea of it being such a kind of a cheaply produced form of uh, pop culture or whatever you want to call it um is that it might be the very last it's kind of like what uh dave cho would be talking about like in our conversations on the channel where it's kind of like the last place where a publisher will give you a shot you know like the famous story is always uh, bruce springsteen e street band two shit albums the first two albums didn't perform at all 
and it was the third album that was huge that does not happen in music anymore in fact it's it's quite the opposite where you got to have a soundcloud that has millions and millions of views before you even get your one shot you know they were in such a crazy place thanks to the internet thanks to piracy and things where you have to bring so much artillery to the table in order for these like big corporations to even participate with you the cost of the machine director hell is a real thing you get you fuck up once yeah like you think the wachowski is going to get to make a, a, another uh big budget movie <laughs> it's so true too i always think of francis Ford coppola who talks about this and you think like we're not talking about like the new kid on the block who makes one movie and it doesn't work we're talking about people who have just giants that, that have had enormous successes and man you mess up once or twice get to the back of the line steven spielberg still has to pitch <laughs> right he still has to pitch movies man it's wild yeah that's we're it's very lucky very very lucky it, it is one of the great uh benefits of comics for sure and now you know he didn't foresee crowdfunding you don't have a publisher fucking with you and they're not no publisher is interested you can crowdsource this stuff it's amazing. It really is. The options that are available now, there are more than there ever been, I think. All right, back to uh, Modern Cartoonist and the Young Cartoonist. This is where he starts to talk to, uh, talking to me in the first paragraph where he talks about the sheer amount of craft that a cartoonist is responsible for it takes years for even the most gifted prodigy to assimilate. Um, and he suggests that, therefore, you know, you be in your 40s or 50s whenever you start making your best work love it thank you for that that's very encouraging i've i've always like that was always my thing like it takes you 20 years to get to be publishable publishable the barest like lowest level of you know comic book publishing like a publisher will uh, spend money and allow your work to see you know the, the the light of day and you can point to a lot of examples where it takes somebody another an additional 20 years while they're already a professional to create their their masterpieces and then uh i, I remember thinking like there, there must be exceptions to the rule probably is and one of the ones that would come to mind was uh was chris ware until you reverse engineer his career and and realize like this guy's been making comics since like 15 or something like like at a he, pretty high level he had his 20 years yeah. much earlier than everybody else had That's their right. 20 years so maybe yeah maybe it's the Hernandez bros who are the exceptions to the rule, man. But then it they is. have comics from when they were young. Yeah, and you know, even in their case, like you think about the stuff they're doing today, and I, I feel like in the last decade, they've produced some of their best comics of their they, careers. They never so, you stop know, getting good. That's exactly. Um, he comes down here and he's like, you know, think about why you choose comics, considering you're going to need decades of, of really honing your craft. And if it's because uh, you're not would-be novelist, but think comics are less competitive, or you're a would-be painter, but think that uh, you know comics readers aren't aren't sophisticated to know kind of artistic trends. If so, he and she should get married and leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is the part, man. I'm glad you read that verbatim because uh, yeah, if you listen to this and you think he's if you feel insecure at this moment, yeah, he's talking about you. <laughs> right. Um, and then some ideas to consider. And some of this stuff's just practical. You know, comics tend to lead toward the iconic. And he suggests, uh, rather than going in that vagueness, go into specificity. Be more specific in the work that you're creating. Um, 
talks about pulling out like contemplate the stillness of images like pull out a, a movie still and, and kind of study it and then watch the movie and see how that falls apart <laughs> whenever it starts moving <laughs> um but there's a lot of this like i think really practical advice you know um the idea that certain elements are hokey this always sticks with me because i remember in the 90s i think it was dc like outlawed thought balloons I just read a DC comic from the 90s, and it has like four different uh, captions that are first person. Yeah. They're thought balloons. They're just square. Like, is it really the balloon? Like, literally what you're outlawing is the shape. I, we can't have a bubbly shape on our page. I um, remember getting called out in uh, art school for having kind of like radiating like pain bursts in the form of like lightning bolts mm -hmm. coming from a character. And the teacher's like, you, we don't do this. You don't do this, man. You're taking shortcuts, uh, stuff like that. You needed you needed modern cartoonist Ed to, to pull this out and uh, <laughs> and challenge his anti hokey stance. You know, it's it's fantastic because the things that he's putting down here were not in print in it's any true. way, shape, or form. It's 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 how to draw comics the Marvel way. Uh, it's understanding comics, and even that only goes so far in terms of comics from a macro level rather than the specificity of uh, putting it together with art in mind rather than commerce. Yeah, I, it's a valuable document, I think, for that, like it, real info. Is this not the most iconic? Thing? Like when you think of modern <laughs> cartoonists, like this, this is it's it. not the front cover, it's this image right here. Also, by the way, I often wear a baseball cap while, uh, while drawing. People are always like, you wear a baseball cap when indoors? And uh, when I have, I have two lights on the desk with, Lots of lumens, and that shit is just right above your eye line. Yeah, I feel like you will burn, you will singe the, like the top, top you need quarter. To find one of these uh, translucent shades, Ed. We, I know cartoonists who do uh, dress up, uh, especially like uh, a lot of people have started, you know, working from home in pandemic conditions and things. And you have you have two schools. You have the the Eddie P school where it's like you stay in the jammies, but there are the people that gotta like. Yeah, dress the part to 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 feel like they're they're at work, you know, have have fresh pressed gear and all that stuff. Like I I I do know people who wear wear ties while working. Wow, you do too. <laughs> all right, the future and beyond. This is where we get to see uh, how thoughtful this guy is. 1997, as we enter voiceless and impotent, a digital age of instant access or constant excess. <laughs> uh, Boy, that's a perfect sentence, right? Like, like he couldn't describe 2022 any better, could he? We were just talking last week about, uh, you know, the 90-20 rule. Uh, we were discussing putting the phone in a different place for an eight-hour workday. Uh, excess is a good word for it. Totally. Um, pretty interesting for the kind of the way he lays this stuff out. Even, like, new technology promises a structural shift. Democratization is a word they use. It, it, it's very, uh, I think it's very accurate, you know, um, let me read this last line here. To pander, this is, this is what he's describing as uh, entertainment media at large is headed in this direction. To pander to the impatient lout and to provide him with material that ranges only from masturbation fodder to the narrative equivalent of a roller coaster ride. <laughs> that feels pretty apt. Oh, absolutely, man. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's because of that that you want to uh, stay the course and kind of try to create these unique stories yourself. And 
I love it. Like, it's weird how much this is relevant today, 25 years later. And, and by the way, 25th anniversary of this little pamphlet. So we had another 15-year burst, which I guess might have been the graphic novel uh, surge. I would suggest, if I were going to name those eras, 1998 is your graphic novel rise. Think about the next 15 years. And then the following, like what we're in now is like this, it's it's web comics. Yeah. You know, it's screen comics, maybe, is a better way to describe that. Or, or, or maybe... Or maybe crowdfunding possibly crowd stuff yeah yeah possibly like a more direct connection between creators and uh and and, and collectors yeah <laughs> I, I like that 15 year thing that's something that, that we should uh sort of i was trying to remember mark miller was talking about an era like like eras and i think he might have done 20 years i can't remember his oh his that's breakdown, right that is but right. it made me wonder like has did miller read this is this something that that informs some of his thoughts on how these ages in comics uh, exist and can, happen can can uh just because i was like who the fuck are you talking about uh can we can we agree that when we talk to him like have him on the show we call him mark miller but just stick to Mark Millar the way everybody else does uh, when we're not, because I was really like, who the fuck are you talking about? Is that, is that, is that, is that, 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 uh, I'll try to be more clear that, that Pittsburgh broadcaster who also does uh, wrestling material, but that's uh, Mark Madden. Um, and the last note that I'll have is just this idea he has that comics will always exist because there'll always be a small group of practitioners. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's, that feels right. And, personally like to me i feel like we saw that in the very early 2000s when i started making comics and going to shows and stuff it kind of felt that way like man comics are dead except there's a room full of people that will make comics no matter what yeah at the beginning of this it was talking about like comics dying and and whatever but it's the same argument that we've we've always heard it's it's just always going to kind of be like that you know it's it's it requires reading you know i read statistics about something like uh, something like nine percent of America re re read reads two books in a year. Uh, yeah, there's some awful statistics for like I, I think it's a it's a high double digits of Americans that don't read one book post high school graduation. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I, almost everybody in my civilian life do doesn't read, and they're also the people. By the way, who are these people that like you're at the crib and you're like, oh, let me write that down. Do you have a pen? There's not a pen in the house, <laughs> right? Like, like, who are you people, man? It's, it's, <laughs> it's so true. The great John Waters quote. Let's, let's end on this, man. I, I'd like to read the last sentence. That's oh, what he leaves us with. Yes. I suspect that even in the face of utter indifference, there are those of us who will continue to create comics, if only because of the vast, unexplored prairie between what has been done and the thrilling possibilities that lie around us in all directions. That's a hopeful part. That is that is comics to me, and it's that thing of like, if I get tired of one genre of comics, I start looking in a different direction, and I'm shocked by what exists and what I haven't even seen yet. And uh, I, I do like that. I feel like that is really sums up my opinion of comics well. It it's it it creates that juice, you know. Like when you first read comics as a kid, there's like this sense of satisfaction after you read, after you read the thing. Almost almost like no matter what it is, like it, it's you're just taking it in. It's new to you, and you're loving it. And then that that sense dulls as you get older. Certainly from our experience growing up, it's like how many Howard Mackey ghost writers can, can I can one boy read right but then you discover the alternative cartoonists and uh, when a cartoonist starts to get into the rhythm like that you find maybe it's like it's good but it's kind of like more of like the same or whatever but then you like discover manga 
And then you feel that same sense of excitement, satisfaction, whatever you want to call it. So there's, in any direction, you could find something that, that still gives you that, that, that burst of, you know, hopeful, ho uh, like hope. Uh, I, I, I don't know, I don't know what the, uh, emotion is or whatever but um it's that electric charge you yeah know, that he talks about where it's like man that's still the the miracle of comics the magic of them this is clouds man so uh <laughs> published by the catholic federation for preservation and Adma advancement of all things related to the comic book and its creators incorporated <laughs> fucking love it man how much do you think this piece of art uh is worth man probably a g I would love to have that framed on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a, that's at least a G. Everybody that walked by it would just be so confused. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun, man. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting one to look at and hopefully uh, new to some of our, some of our uh, viewers and um, hopefully inspiring to some of the makers out there. I'm going to take a look on eBay to see if there are any loose versions of this because you know the kayfabe effect is going to make those things disappear. Uh, the way that you mitigate the kayfabe effect, though, is if you like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, you hit the bell so that we can notify you when these videos come out. You sit down, you watch the video before anybody else. You make those uh, smart buying decisions when you head over to eBay or Amazon.com. Uh, because I de deviated from my usual script, I don't remember the next part. I'll tell you where you can find some of my stuff. Yeah. Join me on Patreon.com slash Jim Rugg where you can download out-of-print zines and mini-comics. You can see a lot of my original art and process. And my focus now is putting together my Hulk process zine on Patreon. So join me on Patreon if you want to see how Hulk Grand Design came together and see some uh, artwork from behind the scenes of Hulk Grand Design and tell your local comic shop to pre-order Hulk Grand Design for you. It'll be in stores March 16th. Red Room Comics, man. You can't disable the power of the label. Fantagraphics, publisher of 8-Ball Comics and Modern Cartoonist, publisher of Red Room Trigger Warnings, uh, a comic that can't be more opposite than the Dan Klaus 8-Ball issue because it's about murder f for fun and profit on the dark web. Uh, every issue is completely self-contained. You're going to be able to uh, read these comics ahead of time on my Patreon, coming out March 9th, going to be collected towards the end of the year. Uh, Jimmy and I have Patreons uh, that uh, are in both of our link trees that are in the description below this video where you can get to all of our stuff. And I'm serializing uh, Red Room on my Patreon uh, before it hits paper. Three bucks for the archive there. More than 200 pages worth of comics uh, so far as we speak. What else do we have, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist KFAB newsletter at the links below the video. You can also find Cartoonist KFAB t-shirts and merchandise at the links below the video. Give them those marching orders, man. We're going to be on our way. Make more comics.